Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the Athena Masterclass, Leadership is in Session. I am Becky Dubin Jenkins, your host for today. And today we have the true privilege of being with Andreas Gonzalez, who is the Vice President of Community Engagement and Chief Diversity Officer at Freydert. Andreas, how are you? Welcome in. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to this discussion today. Likewise, we are so happy to have you. And as I said, you are in, you're in healthcare, Andreas, and you've had a very distinguished career. And so we wanted to talk to you today about health equity, community by community, because that is how you work. You have done a lot of work in the nonprofit sector. You focused your time and attention on healthcare and matters of critical importance, things that are really important to you. These have all been centered in equity and inclusion. Will you talk to us about your journey? Sure. It's a loaded question, but a good one. So thanks for the question. I would say my journey actually starts in my own native land of Puerto Rico. That's actually where I'm from originally. So I was born and raised there till the age of 13. And then my mother decided to uproot us and took us to Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. And so it was actually a tough transition now looking back and kind of reflecting on that journey, but one that has been very fulfilling as well, because I think there were a number of lessons that I learned. And I think our family actually learned through that process from acculturation to how to navigate in a new country where it's not your native country and you're learning a new language as well. And so it was eye-opening, and I feel that really in turn, has positioned me fairly well for the work that I lead today, that I get to lead within our organization. So that's where my journey started. But as we certainly settled in Cleveland, Cleveland became home and is still home in many ways. And so I was able to learn how to navigate the landscape there. Ended up actually playing sports too uh, while in high school, and that provided me a great pathway in terms of connections with great mentors and coaches that really positioned me for success in terms of that next step of going into college. And so I ended up going to college, first at Ohio State, then coming back to Cleveland because of a uh, sports injury, but nonetheless coming back and pursuing then my degrees. And then realizing that through a connection in our Hispanic Latino community in a nonprofit organization there, that was my first job. And learning that, boy, I can work in my community, speak my language, and get paid for it, that's amazing. And so that's where my humble beginning started. And from there, of course, I grew in that organization, ended up actually leading efforts there. And from there, I was recruited to actually run a much larger not-for-profit over time in workforce development. And that's where actually I struck gold with the healthcare systems. And uh, through a joint partnership with both the county hospital and Cleveland Clinic, at the time, and actually through the blessing of a great proposal or funding that we received from the Robert Johnson Foundation. And so we created a great bilingual cultural pathway for women who were in government assistance 
but we're in their last trimester of benefits. And how do we get them not only provide them the education, but also get them trained, also certified, and then certainly employed. So high stakes for everyone, but we were able to do that successfully. And through that partnership is that I actually stumbled in terms of having a great discussion with a leader at Cleveland Clinic who became actually over time my mentor and sponsor. And he was the one who brought me into the healthcare system proper. So that's where my healthcare career started. So there was not a lot of intentionality in terms of getting there. It happened, A, by serendipity, but also by being prepared for the opportunities and seizing the moment, as I'd like to say. But that's how I ended up in healthcare, and the rest is history. I've been in healthcare now for over 15 years doing the work that I love to do in healthcare systems in the U.S. It's so interesting that you say it was not an intentional choice. It, oh. it just happened. But I've also read that you have said, I was born to do this work. Tell us what yeah. you mean by that. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of what I just mentioned in terms of my, I think where I was born, we come from very humble beginnings. And early on, now obviously having better context and terminology to call it for what it was at the time. And really dealing with a lot of inequities and uh, setbacks and seeing how we were part of the have-nots in many ways, not having the resources, mom that struggled financially and otherwise, and really learning that it was really difficult to navigate. And especially when we arrived in Cleveland, how to navigate that new landscape and even going with my mom and being her interpreter. Again, good intentions on my part, very much ill-equipped to do medical interpretation for my mom. And so I learned through those experiences even early on that there were so many setbacks and so many things that we did not have that we lacked that certainly provided me with an opportunity to build resiliency, but also in terms of understanding that, boy, at some point, if I could ever change this reality for others, that's what I want to do. And so many years later, I've now obviously in a position where I can do that through my work and really remove barriers, very systemic barriers, and deal at the core issue with the discrimination and systemic racism that exists in our organization or organizations for that matter. And so that's what fuels me. But also because of my background and my journey, it has given me a great, I think, good lessons along the way on a great, great testing grounds for the work that I am able to lead now. So a lot of it is personal experiences and insights that I have learned along the way. So you mentioned a really important word. You said resilience. For the people that you serve, the people that you work with, and really for all of us, how do you help people build resilience? You have gone through a lot. As you just said, you came here to a country where you did not speak the language. Your family did not speak the language. How did you do that? And how can you share with people how they can do that too? Yeah, it's a great question. I Actually, I'm going to quote one of the individuals that I certainly look up to and certainly that I respect a great deal. And that's Brene Brown. She has a great talk on the power of vulnerability and to me, it starts with that. It starts with our ability to lean in, lean into becoming much more vulnerable. I actually like to say it in a different way, which is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And for me, that's where it starts. It starts with wanting to show that vulnerability, coming in with authenticity, and being willing to 
entered that space with a lot of humility as well to have what I call courageous conversations. And to me, that's really the work and the secret sauce for the work that I do and how I build greater resiliency, right? It's about trying to understand where people are coming from, what people are experiencing. And certainly, I mean, I can take a position of saying, well, I've done it all right. I have arrived and forget my humble beginnings or say, no, even though I am where I'm at, I'm not going to forget who I am. But more importantly, also to realize that I have a lot of privilege today and I have lost probably some of that context. But coming back and saying, hey, let's meet, right? Let's treat one another with that dignity and respect. Let's sit across one another knowing that you and I are two human beings trying to connect, right? And for me, it's about that. It's about creating a safe space. Let's have a conversation. Let me help me understand what you're going through or what the community is going through. And that then gives me a better pulse and understanding of what the core issues are. And then that way, then I also then invite, furthermore, then we invite and I can invite individuals to then come in this journey, right? Come alongside and help us to co-create the right solutions that have to happen. I have seen that not only work, but as a result of that, it has helped me and others to build that resiliency, right? Because people are going through a lot of issues. And despite all of that, right, they're still coming back. They certainly have this can-do attitude. And what oftentimes our community lacks is the resources. They have the solutions. They know what's going to work. And I think that's the type of partnership that I am trying to elicit here or solicit from them. Come in. Let's have a discussion. Educate me. But also know that I'm going to treat you as an equal with a lot of dignity and respect. And let's see where we can go from here. And I think that has been really great to build those partnerships for people to feel valued and heard and seen. And in turn, then I can build greater partnerships with them because it's all about building trust yes. at the core. So one of the things you mentioned is you have been in, in healthcare in this space for about 15 years. Are you willing to share with our listeners a moment in time when you had to be vulnerable as you were learning, as you were going through all of this, endeavoring to create those partnerships and connections? Yeah, great question, Becky. I'm going to go back to probably six months prior to the pandemic. And I go back to that particular time because it became a watershed moment for us at Freighter. We had already experienced in 2016 the death of Seville Smith here in this community which led to the three-day unrest that we know as Sherman Park unrest today. But I remember having discussions kind of from 16 to about 20 within our organization around, are we going to be proactive around these issues that are happening in the community? Or are we going to actually sit here and be reactive, knowing that a lot of the things that happen in the community, by virtue of the work that we lead at Freighter and the work that we do, which is actually to treat our community, those issues are going to actually spill over and brought, they're going to be brought into our organization. And I remember our CEO, Kathy Jacobson, who I actually um, respect dearly, who said, I like the approach here. Let's be proactive. And so this conversation took a lot of authenticity, a lot of courage, but also a lot of vulnerability, not only for me individually and for my other senior leaders like Kathy, but also for the organization to say, hey, we need to realize that we have played a role here, right? At the core, the root cause is, if you look at historically how things have transpired in the U.S., at the core, 
of all these issues, right, or the ills, is really systemic racism and discrimination. And we know that healthcare is not exempt, right? We're not obviously immune to that. And so for us, it was about A, acknowledging that individually, organizationally, but then B, admitting that openly to our community, right? And that vulnerability became extremely important because I think it was one of the first times that the community members or stakeholders said, now you get it, right? Now you're coming in being honest, right, about your journey and the things that you have done or not done in this community. And so that led to a greater discussion that led to courageous conversations over time. And now here we are, right, a couple of years later, where we have been able to birth and launch our Eradicating Racism and Enhancing Health Equity Plan, which actually is addressing a lot of the core issues that we know that are fundamentally issues that our communities, especially BIPOC, right, Black, Indigenous, people of color, have faced in the Milwaukee or greater Milwaukee area in this region. And so I think it really gave us a path forward to be able to do that. And again, to say, hey, we admit to our wrongdoings, and but we're going to dismantle that racism and we're going to actually become a anti-racist healthcare system over time. So I think that would be a great example of something that I had to struggle with and deal with and finally said, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be authentic through this process. And hopefully through that engagement, hopefully others will be inspired and willing to come along and also admit to the things that we have to certainly be accountable to here. And so that was a great example of how we were able to do that and how I led maybe a little bit of that change and transformation within our own healthcare system. So one of the things I know about you and your work is that you really listen, Andreas. That is, you really and truly listen, and you do that to help align strategies to make communities better and stronger. What message do you think that sends to the people that you're partnering with? Yeah, it's the message, and actually I have received this feedback from a number of our community members, is you care. When you're willing to come and to listen, right? You're not being prescriptive in your approach. You're telling us that you care and that you're being authentic around your process, right? And your willingness to hear the feedback. And for me, and this is probably more philosophically where I come from, I view feedback as a gift. People don't have to give it to you. And the fact that people are taking the time to engage with me and share with me sometimes really raw moments and really difficult things that sometimes pain me about the things that we promised, right, in terms of our mission and we didn't deliver. It's tough to hear it, but I'm glad that people are willing to take that risk, right, to have that courageous conversation with me. And that has been pivotal in terms of then opening those channels of communication and for people to know that, hey, Andres and a number of the leaders at Freighter, they care and they're going to listen to us, they're going to engage us, and they're going to also invite us to co-create some of the solutions. And I think we saw that even through COVID-19 when we invited in both, especially in the African-American community, which was ravaged originally by COVID and throughout the pandemic and then the Hispanic Latino community, uh, we invited the community to share with us what do we need to do here and how do we go about it? And one of the things that we heard loud and clear right away from the community was, you guys cannot be the ones kind of leading the way It would be great if you can actually empower us, give us some speaking points, and allow some of our trusted members of the community be the ones, right, that are carrying that message because they obviously have earned that right, right? They have that cloud in the community. So we're able to do that, and that actually then led us to generate 
two phenomenal, phenomenal public service announcements that we made for each community. The one in the African-American community was with G. Smith from G. Clippers, and the Hispanic Latino community was actually with one of the elders in that community, which is Ricardo Diaz, who used to be the executive director of the United Community Center. So those are ways in which I think we have shown up in the community, again, saying, hey, we don't have all the answers. We know certain things, but let's engage. And by doing that, we have created a far better product or solution than if either one of us, right, would have done it by ourselves. You did mention two specific initiatives that were co-created that it sounds like gave you and I would imagine many of your peer leaders at Freighter a lot of gratification. What other initiatives or what other items have you spearheaded that you would say, I feel so gratified to have helped co-create these with people who matter? Yeah. So one of the things that we're doing, so I'll give you two examples. One is internally focused. The other one is externally focused. The internally focused one is something that, again, based on our plan, we decided that it was important, which was to create an employee life cycle. So basically from engaging our community from a workforce development standpoint to how we go about our recruiting and onboarding and certainly making sure that individuals have right all their tools and resources to be successful, but also, as importantly, how do we then continue to educate them and really provide the leadership development opportunities for them to grow, right, and have a phenomenal career at Freighter. And so we have mapped out that new employee life cycle in partnership with human resources and every single area within HR. So from, again, working with our HR operations folks to our learning and development, our chief culture and learning officer, to um, looking at also benefits and compensation, right? So creating now a new employee life cycle that will provide a much more equitable and inclusive experience to our diverse staff members or BIPOC staff members. So that is something that we're doing and we're starting to see the impact that it could have, right? And the benefit of doing that because now, again, our staff, especially our diverse staff are saying, you know, the organization gets me. They value us, right? We're seen in this organization. They're willing to invest in us, in me, right? And so that's part of what we're doing through that employee life cycle. And a big component of that is we've launched business resource groups, affinity-based. And so we have one for our African-American Black staff members. We have one for our Latinx, LGBTQ+. We have a military veteran one and one for women in leadership. So those are the five that we have. And through those engagements, we're seeing uh, staff members step up, take leadership roles, provide right, their thought leadership, which now is also uh, allowing them to have greater visibility in the organization right, and get tapped for other opportunities or other cross-functional opportunities that we certainly have, we can offer them. So I think that's actually something that we're doing. And again, we're starting to see the benefits of that. And certainly we have heard that through the staff engagement process and survey where our diverse staff members are saying, hey, this is a great organization, a great, what we call workplace of choice. And I am having a meaningful experience here, one that is actually giving me a sense of belonging. So that's really what we strive for. And we're seeing that on that side. On the external side, similarly, we actually launched a supply diversity effort a number of years ago. And again, it was part of our blueprint or roadmap here. And we're starting to also reap that benefit, seeing now minority women-owned businesses being able not only to interface with Freighter, but now certainly bid on contracts, win those contracts, 
and then also grow, right? And as they grow, we know that they're going to actually go back to our respective communities and hire from the community, right? So we're seeing that those dollars are being re-infused in our community, right? Sometimes even seven times. So that is actually another, I think, key bright spot for us that we have seen how we have been able to move the dial on the supply diversity side. Actually, so much so that this past year in 22, we closed the year with a $42 million investment that we made in minority women-owned, LGBT-owned, military-owned businesses in our community right here in the greater Milwaukee area. That's ultimately how we're going to create greater community and economic vitality. So those would be two examples that I would offer of things that we are driving and that my office is actually very much involved or certainly kind of the architects behind the scenes driving a lot of that transformational efforts. So that has to be incredibly gratifying. I would imagine that's a proud moment for you as someone who, like you said, you came to America, you did not speak the language, you grew up in a community where you were serving as really an ally for your mom as she navigated a lot of this. And so on a personal level, what gives you hope? What makes you excited to wake up in the morning and go to work and work with these communities that you are serving? Yeah. I think it's twofold is one, knowing that our work matters and that it can have a profound impact both for our staff members. And if we do that and we're able right to provide them that great employee experience, they're going to be able to carry right and drive the patient experience for us, which then touches the community and the patients that come through those doors. And I think that that's what fuels me every morning that I know that we can actually affect change. And even if it's in one life, right, that we touch and we can make a difference, that's a win for us, right? That's actually someone who we impacted positively that day, whether a staff member, right, one of my colleagues, or whether it was actually a patient. And so I'll tell you quite a quick story here that one of the other bright spots for me is one of the departments that I oversee is language services within our health network. And what I love about that is that I hear Weekly, when I round on my teams there, the interpreters and our translators, I hear the number of stories that are shared with me on how our interpreters actually enterate and the patient couldn't communicate right, was obviously very distraught by whatever happened, right, and why they were here in, to begin, right, in our facility. But be that how daunting and, and difficult it is, right, to navigate the healthcare system and then to be in a clinical room where you don't know how to communicate effectively and the fear of not being able to be understood and the fact that you have someone who can come in and be a cultural broker and not only to connect with that particular patient in probably one of the most, if not the most vulnerable times of their lives and to be able to serve right in that capacity, but also then to serve as a liaison as well to our staff to ensure that effective communication happens it actually brings me a lot of, you know, it's it's actually wonderful to hear that. And so to me, that's actually one of the things that I look forward to every Friday morning when I round on my teams there to hear, you know, who did you touch this week, right? And what was actually the impact, right? And who did we actually make a difference on? So I, to me, those are the type of stories or the things that I look toward or for every single week or daily that I know that, hey, this day counts. Let's make sure that we can seize the moment and make a difference in someone's life, whether, again, internally or externally for that matter. 
thank you so much for putting a human face. You you added such a human element to the work you do. I think so many of us, you know, as you said, you go to a hospital, you are at your most vulnerable. You are feeling very, you've perhaps been injured. You're very sick. It is not the best time in your life. But to hear these stories, that is just incredibly gratifying. And really, I think for me, puts a, a human face on the work that you do and why it is so important. And speaking of important, you referenced vulnerability as something that you think people should embrace, that it's something that you reference that Brene Brown talks about a lot, and she does. Uh, other than that, what life lesson should people not shy away from, but instead embrace as they're growing in their leadership? Yeah, I think it's not only vulnerability, but the other one is seeking diverse perspectives. I think we can get, and especially I would argue right now, look at our societal climate right now. We're extremely divided. I think we lost the ability to sit across or around other people. And even if we bring differing perspectives, we don't have to agree on everything, right? We can agree to disagree, but we have lost the ability just to have a civil conversation. And to me, that's actually profoundly a core issue that we're facing right now, right? Because if you do not belong to the same network or to the same political party or have the same ideology that I have, we cannot sit around, right? You're not one of us, right? It's the us versus them. And so I would say embracing differing perspectives because I have learned in my own life, whether personally or professionally, that some of my greatest lessons or aha moments have come or breakthroughs from having conversations with people who are polar opposite from who I am, right? Whether the way that I think, the way that I certainly would view a certain issue, but at least we have agreed that, hey, we're going to build common ground and we're going to actually listen to one another, right? And it's going to get messy perhaps, but we're going to actually stay true to that, right? Because it's about seeking understanding and point of views here. And again, we don't have to agree but you have to actually be willing to do that. And so I think that that's something that I would encourage people to do. Seek people who are different from you. Welcome them into your circle, into your network. Yeah, and it's going to feel uncomfortable, but you're going to actually be enriched through those experiences and those conversations. You're right about being uncomfortable, but that is part of being vulnerable, right? So I appreciate those thoughts. And we just want to say thank you for coming in today, uh, Andreas Gonzalez. You have talked to us about health equity, community engagement, and so much more. So thank you so much for your great thoughts and your leadership and spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Becky, for having me. And certainly, it's, I'm always honored when I'm invited to speak about the topics that I'm very passionate about. So thank you for having me here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.